Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. You're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, uh, Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power, obviously huge sponsor of the show. They make it happen. It's where we work. We talk about them all the time. One of the really exciting things going on is the HD tuning program. Uh, specifically, we have it out there for customers. So if like you're an end user and you have a tractor or heavy-duty over-the-road truck and you want to get a tune on it, we can help, but we recently have rolled out some really, really cool dealer programs for this uh, this market as well. Yeah, so we have uh, well, there's several <laughs> packages, I guess, uh, that we've used, and um, you know, basically, not every setup is right for every person, if sure. you will. Um, but we offer a wide variety of support for tractors and combines, sprayers. Uh, done some bobcats and backhoes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, some tree cutters, splitters, just crazy, crazy stuff. I've had some guys call in and like I had to brush up on my knowledge. Yeah, I did a John um, Deere bulldozer back in the day, yeah. and I remember it was it was kind of wild, but yeah, yeah it's cool. Uh, some manure spreaders. Yep. So, uh, and then, you know, on-road stuff, you know, so some of the semis and things like that. So if you guys have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me or any of the other sales guys over at the shop. We'd be glad to help. And as far as any of the end users, you know, if you have any tractors, combines, sprayers, or, you know, semis that, you know, might need some assistance with maybe better fuel mileage or uh, allow that engine to not operate at uh, full capacity, you know, uh, we, we might be able to actually help you. So feel free to, you know, shoot me an email. Call, I don't care. We'll yeah. be glad to help. How should they get a hold of you, Chris? Uh, my email is cmke, so uh, C-E-H-M-K-E, at DuramaxTuner.com, or you can call the shop, 815-568-7920, extension 2121. So gotcha. I'll be glad to help. And hey, uh, just also any of you general users out there, we want to let you guys know this month, uh, October 2019, we're doing deal of the month on the Jack Spade. So that's yeah. our stock trans EFI live tuning. Uh, so if you have a truck that we can support with I EFI you can't live. can't tune anymore. <laughs> you know, Chris, I'm going to need you to listen to last week's episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's all of you stock transmission guys who are looking to get better performance, better efficiency, a better windshield experience, and you're better interested. In the, absolutely, uh, and you're interested in our custom tuning. We're actually doing ten percent off for the deal of the month, and that's this month only. So take yep. advantage of that. If you got a stock truck and you want to see it taken to the next level. Um, next thing I want to do is our from Facebook segment sponsored by WC Fab. Hey, we we love Jason Worley, all the Worley brothers, all the crew over there. Uh, we obviously do a ton of work with them. Chris, you got their parts on your truck. Yeah. Uh, we got them those parts on just about every company truck we have, and there's a reason for it. Uh, it we know what we're going to get. We know we're going to get that consistency. We know we're going to get that quality, and it's it's every single time. It's all about fit and finish, guys. And I think that rings true for our other sponsor, uh, Exergy Performance, where we get all of our fuel system. So when we need fabrication parts, we go to Jason, and when we need fuel system components for any of our uh, common rail, high-pressure fuel system, uh, we always go to Exergy. And then we do the tuning, bring everything together. That's it, man. Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, well, this week's From Facebook segment uh, is something that was submitted. I believe I got this one off of the Diesel Performance Podcast Q&A Facebook group. Still looking for a better name. Guys, please jump. If you're in the group, jump on. Suggest a better name for our group. Uh, I will rename it. Uh, but this week we got something from Reed Aberrell. Sure. Let's kick it over. Uh, well, let's kick it over to me reading what Reed had to say. Hey, guys. Looking for a good opinion here. I have a 2001 LB7 Duramax front end swapped. It's been a great truck for me. I have a lot of fun with it. and It's nothing crazy. It's a stock fuel besides an LBZ CP3 and lift pump truck with a 64 millimeter drop in charger. The Trans was built with a Suncoast G-Max kit and a 1056 triple disc converter. It's a weekend warrior. Over the last two years, it's been sled pulled 10 times or so. Stock turbo and now work stock. Made a few drag strip passes and some dirt drags as well. Most likely a high 500s, maybe breaking that 600 horsepower mark. Here's the question. Two weekends ago, I broke the output shaft, we think, out of the transmission during some dirt drags, and it's scheduled to get pulled apart early October. I'm planning on having the output shaft replaced with a billet version from TCS. Should I be doing the input shaft as well? 
If it was a larger mod- model Allison, it would be a no-brainer, but the early Allisons use- used a smaller bore shaft, so it would take some machining to the C1 hub, I believe, to make it work. Is it worth the money? I am planning to leave the truck at this 600 horsepower or so mark, and there is not a long-term goal of building the motor or shooting for bigger numbers. I am an ag mechanical engineer, and I firmly believe in building the drivetrain soundly before adding the power. This truck generally has about every supporting mod available to the industry. This is the first time my drivetrain has actually failed to support the power of the truck that it's making. Sorry for the long post. Interested to see what you guys think. All right, Chris, uh, input shaft, output shaft, billet parts. I'm going to be honest, man, 600 horsepower LBZ, I would not suspect an, an input or output shaft issue. Uh, potentially an output shaft if you were like maybe sled pulling, got some real hop or no, dug down at the end of the track I, and it really put some torque on it. But I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I think I there's think, other weak links you would hit first. I, I think there's some internal components inside the transmission that we see become uh, failure prone prior to the output shaft. Listen, guys, uh, don't don't shit on me for this. I I know a decent amount about trucks, but I'm no expert. So as far as uh, you know, the uh, the output shaft having a smaller diameter or bore or whatever, I would probably fall back and ask my guys that actually build the transmissions every day to see what their input is, or you know, get my facts straight there. Um, That's but bef- for input shaft, but yeah, input yeah. shaft, yeah. Uh, but be- before any of that, um, let let's get the trans apart. Right. And let's see what failed. And that's what um, I was – listen, we always diagnose first, re- repair and replace second, right? Well, so, what I've learned is this, right? In my younger days, I would always – I still to this day diagnose first, but I would always diagnose the cheapest route, like, oh, this is only <laughs> going to cost me this much. Now I think it's the worst-case scenario and then some. That way, you know, the bed's made, man. Right. You're laying it. Well, and this is my thing is generally – billet components for an Allison like 750 bucks for each shaft yeah i mean each shaft runs a little different cost but yeah they're right there 800 bucks you know uh, that's a lot of money it's a lot of money and i mean stock shafts we've seen seven eight hundred horsepower generally you know the 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 planet what is it p2 planet inside those are generally the weak links i see those fail even at a 600 horse truck when you see those trucks starting to wheel hop and that's where i think he might that he might have a a it might be more probable that we have like some sort of other issue besides the output shaft. Yes. To me, unless you can see clearly, okay, it broke, it fell down, it's yep. off the trans brace, here's a broken output shaft, I would be reluctant to jump on there. They're big shafts, man. They're big shafts. <laughs> they, like like I said, either way, it's going to cost you some money, man. Yeah. I get it. Reed, I'm sorry. It sucks. I've been in this situation a time or two myself. But let's not jump to too many conclusions. Let's get the trans out of the truck. Let's get it apart. See what's going on, and we'll, you know, kind of and unless a game plan I from there. and just to be clear, Reed, unless I absolutely had to, I would not put a billet output shaft in my truck. Not unless I was going to go after that thousand horsepower number, yeah. uh, which, which you're not. So I would not really jump into that. Uh, guys, last week we did a little bit more, a, a little bit different style of a show. We did more research about the topic where we talked about, which was emissions equipment and how the EPA is impacting the diesel performance industry. Uh, this week, we're, we're going to do another kind of research-based topic or research-based episode. So I've dove into what I thought was one of the very early basic shows that we ever did where I brought Nick into the studio and he just told us about Duramax engines. And he walked us through all of it from memory. Now, I'm not Nick Pregnant. I can't walk you through every iteration and change that's ever been made to the You'll Duramax. never be that intelligent, Paul. Agreed. Uh, and I'm okay with that. So I did a lot of research instead. I'm sorry. That was a low blow. Eh, it wasn't that low. No. Um, so so some of my sources for today's uh, show are going to be Diesel Power, uh, Diesel Power Gear Blog. They did an article, History of Duramax, back in June of 2018. Of course, I checked out the Truck Trend Network for a Diesel Power Magazine article uh, by Trevor Reed. Uh, that was the history of Duramax diesel engine in March of 2013. I did check out Duramax-engines.com uh, for Duramax history. Take it for what it is. It's a pretty short article. And, of course, one of my favorites, uh, DuramaxHub.com. Uh, there you can check out uh, pretty much every spec or detailed verified piece of information you ever wanted to know about your Duramax, including uh, the performance and power of every model that's ever been released. And finally, I used Diesel Army. Um, Chad Westfall, back in February of 2014, did this amazing article. I strongly recommend it. Check out Family Lineage, the evolution of GM diesel truck engines. Um, 
th- this whole first segment that we're going to dive into pre-Duramax was 100% from his article. It, it was really, really good stuff where he dove into a lot of things I didn't know about the 6.2 and 6.5. And I'm not shy saying I don't like or care about the 6.2 or 6.5. I don't like them. I don't care about them. <laughs> I'm wildly okay with that. Um, but it, it, it was interesting to, to kind of hear about where did this all begin and how, how did this whole diesel truck thing get going. I didn't realize that it wasn't until 82 that like GM offered a diesel pickup. I guess I knew that wow. in my I guess I knew that in you my are head. Ignorant as shit. Well, I, like you got to remember it like this. I was born in 85. There were already GM diesel pickup trucks on and the you road. You remember that when you so came in, out the So in womb. my head, in my head I'm like there have always been diesel yeah. GM pickup trucks. Like for yeah. my whole life there have been. Therefore they must have been there forever. I guess for me I just remember, you know, the the mid late 80s naturally aspirated diesels were a thing. You, you remember the mid to late? What year were you born? No, no, no. Like I'm talking like 20 years ago. I knew that in the late 80s there were naturally aspirated diesels. When you were 12, because I'm a little more fucking cultured than you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> turbo yeah. diesels Culture. didn't start getting introduced right. until you know, 89, 90. You know, 88, 90, right in that ballpark with uh, you know the other generation. So I'll kick off. All right, do it. So do it. Uh, the 62, which was the first diesel engine that the GM produced. Um, that a production year was 1982 to 1993. Um, that was the first, like I said, first GM diesel available to the public. Made a whopping 130 horsepower and 240 uh, feet pound of torque. What, what? Pretty impressive. Uh, no turbocharger because they sucked. And uh, a Standine <laughs> DB2 rotary injection pump and injectors injected fuel into a pre-combustion chamber. Yeah. I- so that's that indirect injection we were talking about from a couple episodes ago. Exactly, exactly. So, so this one, this one stood out to me as well. Um, Eighty-two to ninety-three, they're still making fucking parts at banks for these things. Like they still offer an added turbo kit for these trucks. Yeah, just, you could buy to, it today. Let's just go to column. The second column <laughs> that's a waste next. of our, our breath. All right. So the six-five actually had two iterations. Uh, so you could get a non-turbo six-five or a turbocharged six-five. Okay. The non-turbo uh, ran ninety-four to ninety-five, and the turbocharged ran ninety-two to two thousand. Wow. Uh, so they they've been around but a there long were, time. There were a couple generations. There right? were. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did not break down all all the generations of the 6.5 because, again, I, I don't give a shit. Um, it, it ranged from 150 horsepower all the way up to oh, 215. Oh, shit. 215 was where GM tapped it out, I want to say, and that was like in 2000. There was a big change after 96. They The government required all vehicles to have OBD2 ports. Um so in 96, there was, like, a huge vehicle reform bullshit. So that, that that's when it finally stepped up. It, like, creeped up from there uh, until the end, from 96 to 2000. And it capped out at 215 horsepower, uh, 430 foot-pounds of torque. Man, I just – I loved my two-door Tahoe so much. Um, yeah. And yeah. it, it yeah, never ran. It yeah, never ran. Do you and want on me to bring back that, my phone? Do you want me to bring up you. old Shut text up. messages? Shut up. Nobody cares. Um – I fucking hate you. Dude, cut the bullshit. Yeah. So so I, I was trying to hustle away. I had a, a one ton uh like eighty nine uh GM pickup, regular cab with a you nice guys, plow on it. You guys hear the love with this yeah, like passionate I, about this this, I, this I dug that truck. I was trying to get rid of that truck to get into a diesel. I found some jerk off on Craigslist with this rattle can it, it was a professional rattle can i paid mako i paid mako to paint this truck ktm orange how much did you pay them 1200 bucks could you have tipped him another 20 to get it done right dude um, you, you wanted it <laughs> like well i yeah. wanted to trade it yeah i wanted to trade it yeah. so i was just desperate for a diesel so i text this guy and this guy just replies back not interested Blah, blah, blah. I traded the truck for the two-door Tahoe. I got into that amazing vehicle. So much better than that piece of shit rattle-canned orange 12-valve I was looking at. Chris Emke starts a year later. I'm sitting next to him one day. I had to text him for something work-related because God knows I don't want to talk to him after hours. Um, I text Chris my number to be like, hey, it's Paul. And a previously saved conversation comes up. And it turns out I do know the jerk-off with the 12 with the 12-valve <laughs> rattle-canned orange piece of junk. Who thought he was too good for my one-ton Chevy? Fuck you. Okay. Anyways, so fast forward. So we're we're done with the six-five, right? You. With all 200, 300 horsepower that it made. Two fifteen. Two fifteen and four hundred and thirty feet pound of torque. And here comes the Generation One Duramax. 
Dude, right? this is it's such a cool story if it you is. like learn the history of this. So Isuzu was developing the derm. Isuzu is a huge one of the most wi- worldwide recognized leaders of diesel engine manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They were developing an all new common rail injection turbocharged V8 badass motor. It wasn't scheduled to come out until 2003. Wow. GM got involved. They were coming out of two. They were coming out of the '90s, and they're like, "We need something real." These six fives are falling apart. We are eating shit on everything, and, and Cummins is passing. Just like them you up. did with that Tahoe. Yeah, true. Thanks, uh, but but Cummins is passing them up. Let's be honest. If we think yeah. back to this time frame, you're talking late '90s, early 2000s. Dude, Cummins had a better truck. They just uh, before the Duramax was out. The Cummins had a better motor. Okay, okay, fair, fair, yes. Um, so GM GM gets a hold of Isuzu. They decide, bam, we're going to jump into this joint venture. Isuzu owns 60%. GM owns 40%. We're going to rush to production. We're going to get this thing out the door. And they got it out two years early. It dropped in 2001. The LB7 hit the market. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll dive into it, right? Yeah. So the LB7 RPO is from 2001 to 2004. It is the first common rail injection. So, guys, in 01, the Duramax came out common rail. Dodge didn't do it with the Cummins until 2003. Right. Ford didn't do it until 2008. Yeah. Wild. That is insane. That's how far ahead of the curve they were with this. Uh, was a fixed vein geometry turbocharger, so it was waste gated. Yep. Right. Uh, shared, you know, venture of course with Isuzu. One of the big things though, Chris, was the aluminum heads. That's something well, nobody had done no. in a diesel before. Mm-hmm. It was thought that your aluminum heads were just never going to be able to hold yep. up to the the compression and and the temperature. Yep. Uh, but they they figured it out, man. They made it work, and that's why it came out rated at 300 horsepower and 520. 520. Just think about the jump here. You're, you're in the year 2000. You got a 215 horsepower truck. Could you imagine rolling off the showroom 430 floor foot at your local dealership with a 215 horsepower, 430 foot pound of torque truck? You think you're a badass? All the 12 valves and 24 valves were were very similar these years. Yep. Okay, power wise. And then here comes this fucking hot rod. The yeah. following year. I couldn't only imagine the price jump. <laughs> well, you know I'd be that guy to buy the last 6.5 on the lot. Yeah, yeah. And, like, as I'm pulling out, the car transporter is dropping yeah. off the new models. And you're the like, new body style, oh, HD, like, hell yeah. Oh, rough, dude. So uh, it it had, well, at the time, it wasn't anything to be known. But uh, over time, we've learned that this is a little bit of a problem. But uh, injectors were under the valve covers. So this is the only RPO of Duramaxes where the injectors are actually underneath the valve cover, which makes an injector job on an LB7 uh, a little not time-friendly, uh, well, I guess well, you could say. I think it's off top of my head. Don't quote me on this. I'm not quoting you for the shot, but I want to say it's a 16-hour job yep. compared to every other RPO of Duramax is eight. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's literally it's double. double the amount of The injectors time. are, of course, a little cheaper, right? So that's the other thing. Injectors are 800 to to $1,000 cheaper they, from most, most manufacturers. Hold on. They are cheaper, but they also have a shorter lifespan. And if you want to mm. learn about the lifespan of LB7 injectors, go back and listen to our, our mm. episodes yep. with Exergy, uh, where we actually had uh, the guys from Exergy come out and explain to us what some of the problems are, yep. the heavy head, the heavy, uh, the, the seat not matching, yep. things like that, the pounding uh, that they took. So so they improved that design as they went forward. But I think one of the things I put in here, Chris, was about the emissions equipment, because I think so often we think of LB7s as pre-emissions. Not, not the case. Right. Uh, they actually did still fall under emissions regulations. They had passive catalytic converters, mm-hmm. so not a closed filter like a DPF, just a passive one. Uh, and also but in 2003... Uh, California emissions carb came out, and there's actually California emissions models. Funny story, they weren't only sold in California. Yep. There were other states, even back in 2003, that had already adopted carb standards, places like uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and a few other places up in the Northeast. So so EGRs really did hit in a big way early on into yep. the diesel industry. So that's uh, 01 to 04 and a half, right? So it was a, the, the LB7 to the next RPO, the LOI, is a split year. Yep. Right? So your 04 and a half to 05, very, very short production run, and it's referred to as the LOI Duramax. Poor now, bastard child. Yeah, you know what? I think, <laughs> well, well let, let's go. You know, industry is changing, emissions are changing, the standard is getting a little more strict, right, yep. with the requirements, and they needed to rush and figure something out. So that's where a lot of people will sit there and say the LOI is the bastard child, basket case, this and that. 
It has a lot of really cool technology around it, though. It it, it does, and and the problems that they had with it were a result of rushing. Uh, you you can see this in things like we know about the two seven injector harness issue with LLY. So. Yeah. If, I don't think guys deal with that today because most of the trucks that were going to have that problem have already had that problem and been replaced. It was easily a fixable problem. Uh, same thing with intakes, man. The, the stock intake inlet horn right in front of the turbo caused a big problem. Overheating, not getting enough air into the system. They address that as they go forward. So th- while this only had a, a year and a half production run, um, the things they changed, they changed for a very good reason. It, it catapulted them onto the right trajectory. Well, what I what I think is, you know, as there's going to be a common theme, right, as we go through all of this, but uh, LOI a couple things to look at, right? Introduction introductory of an EGR on every every engine that goes out the door. Yep. A variable vane technology turbocharger, which amongst all the RPOs, that is the biggest freaking turbocharger in production on a Duramax. Largest exhaust most... housing and compressor yep, yep. wheel. Yep. So you have that. Now, there, I want to hold, we're, we're going to go back to that turbocharger piece here a little later on. Um, they did do an improved injector design. LOIs arguably do have a very good injector profile, but then they have a very restrictive intake, and it's not the filter or the intake, el- or the intake arm going to the elbow, but the elbow itself is extremely restrictive. It goes from a three inch to a two and a half, if not smaller. Also, the angle on it, the way yep. that it moves is not the way that air flows. No. It, so, it does not jive well. So you have this mammoth-ass turbocharger. The turbocharger arguably is bigger than an LB7. It's variable vane, so it helps control some of you know the low-end boost. It has one of the loosest exhaust housings, but that big-ass compressor wheel is pulling air in from this notched intake horn. Yeah. Like, you can barely look through it. It's very, very small. You can't fit a hand through it. No. It's well, it's, it's also, like, kind of almost S-shaped. Yep. Um, and, and, and yeah, what it, what it does is it creates a low-pressure bubble in front of the turbo. So instead of it costing you, it, it doesn't cost you one-to-one. If you lose boost in front of the turbo, it's costing you an exponential amount after okay. the turbo. So a couple things that I want to touch back on on the LOI is, so 310 horsepower, 605 feet-pound of torque with the biggest turbocharger that the Duramax family had ever seen. Sure. Right? So 04.5, Now, next RPO, LBZ. Everyone fucking loves an LBZ. One thing I want to talk about, for the first half of a year LBZ, guys, yes, if you have a VIN code 2, it is an LOI. It's not an LOI. It is an LBZ. It's an LBZ injector, injection pump, engine, trans, the whole nine yards. It is, however, on a D-rated operating system, deeming it an LOI. Same thing as the vans and the – I've learned uh, the LOI, technically, the RPO LOI is what went into the Alpha H1 Hummers. That is true. And Kodiaks. Kodiaks, Kodiaks. another big one for yep. that. So, um, you know, be careful with that, guys. Uh, <laughs> I always gonna... tell guys, look at your ECM. Yeah, no, 100%. If yeah, it looks yeah. like a duck and it, and, it, and it talks like a duck. <laughs> it's a fucking duck. Chances are it's a duck, guys. <laughs> uh, so if you got an LBZ ECM and you have a six-speed transmission – Little confusing in the Kodiaks because you could have a six-speed capable, yes, but, but but not actually limited. right calibration limited. Um, so there's some there's some variables there. I think for mostly just you normal truck owners out there uh, who are thinking from a performance standpoint, it's pretty obvious, yep. right? Um, so so yeah, so there there were a lot of a lot of improvements, and that's why I poke at the LLY. But listen, it's it's from a place of love. The LBZ, like you said, Chris, it was the pinnacle. One of the big reasons is that six-speed automatic transmission yep. was finally available. Well, think about it. In 01, GM comes to the market with a 300 horsepower diesel badass hot rod. I remember back in 06 when the LBZ came out, everyone wanted them because you could literally go off the showroom floor, punch the truck, and the tires would spin. Like, yeah. they, they were known for being a fucking hot rod. <laughs> 360 horsepower, 660 feet-pound of torque. That's a solid jump. That's a 50-horsepower yeah. bump year over year and, and another 55 foot-pounds of torque. And a six-speed. Yep. Right. Uh, and improved... Which means we should pick up fuel mileage. Right. I don't know that most guys report that, but yeah. but we get pretty similar. The common theory is, is you might or you should. Right. Uh, more advanced ECM. There's no debating that. 32-bit instead of whatever the fuck they ran before. Yep. So, so yeah, just more advanced computing capable. Yep. Um, a couple things here. So um, going on the emissions you know, front, again, a larger improved EGR. Listeners are going to have an argument with that, but guys, do they still, still to, fail? Yes, yeah. but you have uh, to understand this is an early. I mean, EGRs were introduced to the masses in 04 and a half. This is now 06. Right, get over it. <laughs> it's a, it's a year and a half in production. But what I want to point out here, and again, again with the turbocharger theme, again a variable vane geometry turbocharger improved in its technology and control. 
smaller than the LOI, yep. factory producing 50 more horsepower and 50 feet pound of torque more than its predecessor. But how is that possible? That's th- calibration. Yeah, it, it, it's like, calibration. It's, it's a big change in calibration of what the rest of the truck was able to support. But, we know that the five-speed automatic had some weak links. Mm-hmm. You, you, from the factory uh, powertrain warranty standpoint, you were only adding risk by taking the truck up. You could run the LBZ at 360 just like you could with with the LBZ. Yep. But you had all of these other weak links around it. Yep. So as the years went on, even though we're running a bigger EGR, even though we still have a catalyst. We're able to get more horsepower out of it. Well, and again, with a smaller turbo, that's a good point. With the efficiency, a turbo. the efficiency. So we went down in turbocharger size, not only on the compressor wheel, so the impeller wheel, but also on the turbine and the exhaust housing. Yeah. So now what we're doing is, is we're broadening that power band, which is one of the values I think that the LBZ had of being like that real hot rod style truck, because it came to boost, it came in the power rapidly, fast, very quick. So that was an 0607, right? Now, in my opinion, this is the other bastard child of the Duramax lineup. True. Okay? So, you know, no bullshit with this podcast, right? EGRs in 04 and a half through 07. People just deleted they them. Were, they were problematic. They had some problems. It's a Generation 1. It was an introductory thing. We already know and established that it was a Russian 04 and a half. Yeah. Right? So, 06, 07, LBZ, badass truck. Now a new body style comes, right? Walk us through. What is that? Um, okay, so... I'm not one big on the exteriors, but but when that body style changed, they, they seem to do this at GM, that when there's massive emissions regulation changes, they do a body style change yes. along with it. Uh, so we got a DPF. We got a, a, a what's called an what active. I'm sorry. It's an what? LMM, okay. 2007 and a half to 2010 okay. uh, LMM. And the big thing about a DPF is that the first generations held, I want to say, 24 or 28 grams of soot. It was a very small DPF. It was the first ever um, active catalyst, right? Uh, it just had problems, man. They just A lot of them failed. They were too small. Again, first-gen technology. One of the things that I thought was interesting, again, with the LMM compared to the LBZ, another year that they went larger in EGR. And smaller in turbocharger. And smaller in turbocharger, absolutely. So one of the things about shrinking down the size of the turbocharger is you're going to get better smoke control down low. You're giving up that up top, but but you're not pushing these trucks anywhere near their limits. And we know that based on the aftermarket world, that we know these trucks with no add-ons, just just tuning horsepower, and I don't care about reliability. I can throw one of these trucks at 600 horsepower, no problem. Um it's not going to last, and trans isn't going to hold, and blah 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 blah. But like, it's power capable. Yep. But but as they started to push emissions regulations, you had to find a way to work with that. And one of the ways they did that was again shrinking down the size of that turbocharger, bringing that boost on, and bringing that torque curve on yep. earlier and earlier in the RPM range. And again, when we talk about turbocharger sizing, we're talking about a couple things here: impeller wheel, yep. and exhaust housing. That's right. So they, they're still using a variable vane, but they're tightening up the exhaust housing to get quicker response down low. They're making the impeller wheel a little smaller so that response is a little bit quicker. And just how that turbocharger comes into motion and how it comes in, you know, and, and broadening, again, that power band. Not much of a power bump, though, from the LBZ to the LMM. I think I, I honestly, and I don't know this, but I honestly just feel like they were happy to get a DPF on the truck and not lose horsepower. I agree. Well, they made five horse. They made five more horse torques. And and, and so. these are all rated numbers. These are all published per GM. We've yep. dynoed them, and honestly, we don't see a difference. Numbers have some variance. Yeah. Uh, so they all hit around three hundred, mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, yeah. So so we did. We 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 didn't see a ton of mechanical revisions. There's like some pigtail changes on the injector harness. Little Small little stuff. Little things like this that aren't like a big deal. It was the LML in 2011 that I feel like was their version of the next game changer. Oh, 100%. So the LML arguably, well, it's not arguably, it is. It's the longest operating or running RPO of all Duramax motors. Yep. Uh, 2011 to 2016, right? 2011 or 2010, the debut, 397 horsepower, 765 feet-pound of torque. Which was record-setting at the time. Fucking ridiculous. And driving yeah. that truck stock to this day, there's some quirks like throttle response that I don't like, but the trucks make power. Oh, yeah. There's no arguing or denying that. It'll tow anything you put on it. Trucks also weighed a little more, but nonetheless, I mean, impressive, impressive power. But again, they went through a huge lineup of changes. Yeah. Uh, 65% of the Duramax of the parts on the LML changed from the LMM. 
So 65% of it got completely overhauled. And it's all sorts of stuff. Um, Piezo-controlled injectors. I don't think most guys know what piezo injectors are, just beyond the fact that they've heard that they're in LMLs. It's when a pulse of electricity is sent to signal something to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, What that means is that we can get multiple injection events Multiple injection cycles during one combustion event. So we can do a pre, a during, and a post much, much faster than we've ever been able to do before, and that rapidly helps with emissions. Well, it makes the injector more efficient. It does. So in in, in the performance perspective, when you talk about an 01 to 10 Duramax and you talk about, you know, oh, I have this percent over injector or I have this horsepower injector, that doesn't hold true when you get into the piezo injector. It's a completely yeah. different world. It's a completely different world. We, we've done episodes with Nick and with Exergy talking about latency of these injectors, yes. how they, they stay on longer. Um, they, there's a lot of quirks to them. Mm-hmm. But but I think the main point I wanted to make about bringing these up in the outline was just that it's a part of that massive overhaul that we see these companies, we see these OEMs always trying to improve, always trying to beat out the guy next to them, always trying to make it better. Now, there are things that they do that, you, I, and I think every other diesel performance enthusiast don't think it makes the truck better, like a ninth injector. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting a ninth an injector, injector, but it's a Putting V8. an injector between the turbocharger and the DPF so we can spray fuel directly into our exhaust. To heat up. Uh, to heat it up. Uh, we'll heat up the DOC, which heats up the DPF. I just think of all the times when I was young and my dad said, like, you know, I don't want I don't want to just pour pour money down the drain. And like that's what I think everybody yeah. feels like about a ninth injector. It's like I'm just I'm literally pissing fuel down the exhaust, but it doesn't spray a large amount. We've done side by side comparison testing. So have other tuners in the industry done side by side comparison testing. We found at the most half a mile per gallon difference in fuel efficiency yeah. uh for a deleted and a non deleted truck tuned similarly to the same power yeah. level. Um, so, so I think it's important to bring that up. And again, Chris, we saw another continuing trend, a larger EGR, and this one actually has a cooler bypass. And I don't think a lot of people know how that works. Um, there are times where the EGR runs the gas through the cooler to cool the gas down. And there are times where it pulls the gas directly and pushes it in. Again, a technology chain with EGRs as we see in all of the generations. Well, then we have another tier of emissions in 2011. True. So the SCR, DEF fluid, we have to add DEF fluid into the mix now. And what the common trend here is, is in the 11 to 16s, you don't really run into as many EGR and DPF issues any longer. Right. Now you start seeing problematic uh, scenarios with uh, SCR DEF. Well, at this point, if you think about it, I mean, the EGR has been around since 2000, roughly 2004 to 2011. Mm-hmm. So we got seven years of experience with mm-hmm. EGR technology. We now, the, the DPF came out around 2008. We're three years into DPF technology. It's the first generation of DEF. It's yep. the first generation of SCR, which is controlling your NOx emissions. Uh, so, yeah, man, first-generation technology doesn't usually last. No. I mean, that's just the reality of this. No. Now, B20 rating also came out. This is the first year that GM said, so 2011, first year that GM said, hey, you know what, throw biodiesel in it. Don't have to change any hard parts. Don't have to worry about it. I, I was just talking to one of our coworkers about where we fill up diesel, right? Like, I put the same – I go to the same gas station. I put the same diesel in my vehicle – every single time I fill up, unless I'm on vacation. And then I make sure I go to a big brand. I make sure I, I'm at a Shell or a, a Phillips, you know, really? somewhere that's like a nationally recognized brand or at least a large regional brand. Uh, I won't go to a little mom and pop gas station and throw diesel in my truck because there was one uh, in the town our shop used to be in, and there was a sign right above the diesel pump that said, this is not BP diesel. This contains up to or or more than 20%. I don't know how you could phrase something wow. up to or more than 20% um, uh, biodiesel, like whatever mix. We do not support it. We do not guarantee it. Like there's this huge disclaimer right above the diesel pump. Well, guess what? That's a pump I'm not putting in my vehicle. Yeah, no, that's true. true. Uh, but what, what I thought was cool is that, again, as, as GM is being pushed on the emission side, they're also realizing that consumers want fuel efficiency. And that's a big part of owning a diesel yeah. is that fuel efficiency. And I think that B20 offering was to help try to balance those those options out. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, on that topic, you know, uh, upgraded six-speed transmission, double-disc, dual-disc converter from the factory. 
Um, now you have the ability to, in, in calibration, there's so much more support in the TCM and ECM tuning and, and how that transmission operates and, and line pressure controls and different converter unlock locking processes and just the tuning in general. Like the, that ECM is, is very sophisticated to say the least. Um, the introductory of a CP4 pump, which there's some flack. We put, get that. It's going to put a stain on, on the LML yeah. for sure. People are going to remember CP4s. Dodge guys and Ford guys love to bring up CP4s. Yeah. Um, the CP4 has reliability issues. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of really simple, really affordable solutions to those yeah. reliability issues. Um, and then, you know, something that, you know, the, the OEM finally took notice Guys that were tuning these trucks prior with a variable vane, they were able to utilize an exhaust brake. So you get tuning companies such as ourselves to say, hey, you have a variable vane geometry turbo. This is what we can do under these circumstances. We can close the vanes and the exhaust side of the turbocharger to act as an exhaust brake. What happens in 2011? Comes factory with the LML. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of a cool system, too. So in tuning on on the 04 and a half to 2010, it was based on throttle position. So if you went to zero throttle and you were above... Like 1,550, 1,600 16, RPM. Yeah, 1,600 oh. RPM, your veins would go to zero. On the LML, the harder you press the brake and the more suddenly you press the brake, the harder it closes the vein. So it's actually, that's why they call it a smart exhaust brake. It's actually integrated into your brake pedal, mm-hmm. not your throttle or anything else. Uh, so I, th- I thought that was kind of a cool that feature really that they neat. built with it. Um, now, they did do, like I said, 65% overhaul. So one of the things we saw is that they slightly lowered the compression of this engine. So it goes down to, uh, I didn't write it down, I want to say 16 to 1 instead of 17 to 1. Not a huge change, but a part of that, again, was emissions. A larger compression chamber helped helped with controlling gases and temperatures of cylinders. Um, and, and that also factored into like the slight turbocharger change. Yep. Again, um, tighter housing, tighter housing, a little smaller. Yep. Uh, the shape of the turbo, just the Actually, it's exhaust pitch. I, the LML went up from the LML. The compressor wheel, yeah. but the housing the is housing tighter. housing down, okay. right. Um, and then, of course, in 2015, you get a revamp in body style. Looks good. It is. It looks it, good. It looks okay, yeah. It, it's a good-looking truck. I, I, I made this bold statement before about how I thought the 2020 revision of the L5P was not as bad. Not as bad as the 2015 revision of the LML. Um, I yeah, I, I don't hate the 2020. I know I'm probably going to take wow. some flack for that. I don't. I, I kind of like it. I don't. I would not if I had like a 12 or a 13 LML yeah. next to a 2020, and they had all of the same things under it. And it was just looks. I'd still go with the 13. Yeah. I, um, I mean, to be completely honest, like, and again, I don't care this opinion. Um, I had the luxury. I was in the 2020 today. Okay. Fucking went to humble brag, bro. And, you know, I, yes. Um, <laughs> one of the guys here, the general manager has a 15 Denali. Yeah. And then uh, one of the guys that works up in the office uh, bought our old 17 Denali. The 17 Denali, in my opinion, is more impressive than the 20 inside, hands down. Hands down. Look-wise, the features that the 20 offers, I'm all about. Some of the uh, backup camera display, the display for the front, the uh, alerts for parking and things like that. But the overall display in the interior, there are certain things and characteristics about it that I, I think like the 1517 style interior is a little nicer. And the outside, just an eyesore to me. I think they're ugly as shit. You heard it here absolutely controversial topic chris emke giving his opinion of the interior of the truck don't care it's a cummins guy <laughs> the, com- Mike, the yeah, cummins for a cummins is still guy. more impressive inside for, than for, a 20 for a cummins guy who got digital gauges in what 2015 i think was the yeah, first time and push button right? start what's up <laughs> yeah let's let's take unreal. it easy over there support unreal you had a plastic wood dash up until like two years ago <laughs> Dude, I'm so done with you. <laughs> but it's true, you did. I do remember. No, I didn't have a wood dash. The plastic wood, the faux wood, the, the oh, plastic. Oh, the faux wood. The, yeah. I didn't have that in my 07. Oh no. no. Okay. No. The faux wood. The faux wood. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, the LML man, it, it was an amazing platform. It's still my favorite favorite uh, iteration of the Duramax. Um, they drive so nice, you know. Just... With subtle upgrades, you can really make that thing like a, a truly respected. 
street truck, work truck, all in one. Like we've seen a hundred of them come in and out of the shop over the years. I can't count how many I've been, you know, fortunate enough to be behind the wheel of. By far, out of all the RPOs, LML is my absolute favorite. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and now that's not to say anything bad about the L5P that oh, came out God, in 2017 no. to present. It's still new. It, it's, it's still, still new. new. It's still fresh. I feel like I probably haven't got to get out and beat on enough L5Ps. They're fun. That's a real problem <laughs> I have personally. So if you guys want to help me solve my problem as listeners, uh, ship your L5P over to us. We're at 455 Borden Street in Woodstock, Illinois. Uh, ship me your truck. I'll drive it around for a week, and I'll ship it back at your expense. Um, and the L5P went through a ton of changes yeah. yet again. Here's another basically complete overhaul. Uh, scrapped the injection system. They went to Denso injectors. What's the difference between a Denso and a Piezo? It's how – I actually kind of know this, but I'm not – Because I don't, and I'm I was going to put I'm you on the I'm not the expert spot. on this. Okay, so so it's basically on how the signal is sent to the injector okay. to tell it what to do. Okay. Um, so Denso injectors were back to, I believe um, – let me rephrase that. Okay. Denso injectors were away from the piezo injection system. Okay. So we're back to the old style okay. um, injection. mechanical okay. of, of mechanics of how this electronic injector works. And then they ditched the CP4 and went to an HP4 pump. Right. Which, yes. Depending on- It's the- a rebrand. Let me let me just be honest with you guys. Listen, like it's going to last. It, it was redesigned. It, all of the problems they, they claim are fixed. I'm not hearing about guys reporting the problems the way that we did with the LMLs they first came out. Are you, are you hearing some? I've heard a couple, but I you know it's Let's the luck of the draw. Listen, I'll be honest. To the guy that calls me and says, listen, my CP4 to this, I'm not very sensitive to them because I've heard of CP3s failing too. Right. Like I have buddies, like good good close friends that have had CP3 self-destruct. So when they're like, oh, I got to get that shit CP4 pump out and put a CP3 in, like, listen, man, like – Slow your roll, chill out. Well, I think that's the, not necessarily the role we have to go. L- let me just be clear, too. I'm pretty sure the 2019 Cummins is running an HP4. Yeah, no, a CP4. The, a CP4. I think if you go back and listen to Rod Romain, it's an HP4. It's a part of the CP4 family. Oh, okay. Well, it, it, in, in, in the RAM stuff, when I was first reading it, it is a CP4 is how yeah. they describe it. Yeah, so we, we, we interviewed the chief engineer of the RAM heavy-duty yep. truck line, Rod Romain. Great one. guy. You were there. Uh, I'm... Go back, verify me, fact check me, yeah. but every time you do, I'm right. So Except just for this trust one. But either way, say, we're good. That, we're good. I'm pretty sure they both run HP4s. Um, and got a whole, the L5P got a brand new turbo. So they've done away with Garrett's, right? So yeah. the Garrett isn't the supplier for these. Borg Warner. Borg Warner gets the nod, and they produce Garrett, I just a variable wanna, vein. I just want to remind everybody, Garrett was there from 04 and a half to 2016. Crazy. Like, crazy like, like just forever yep. um and then to go to a borg warner variable vein charger the goofiest looking vein cage yes I've ever seen that's a, it's a box on top of the turbocharger it's very odd they yeah. also have the turbo placement more in the middle of the valley right to make everything a little bit more easier to gain access to and things like that which is a cool feature um Smaller, like the turbocharger looks tiny. It's tiny, but man, that thing makes some torque. Oh yeah. man, does that thing make some torque? So we've been up to fourteen hundred foot pounds of torque on a we stock turbo. It. We have seen it. Um, uh, not something I would ever recommend. Want to leave your truck there, but no. but we saw it on but a dyno. I'll tell you what, the L5P is probably out of all the trucks, you know, full emission truck from the factory. You don't really have that dead pedal. And with a little tuning, you know, a little bit of catering, you can really get that truck to be super, super, super responsive. You know, one of the other things that that I love about the L5P is they've taken airflow induction to the next level. Absolutely. The, the hood scoop is functional. It actually works really, really well. Yeah. You still get all of the uh, um, pass-through through the grill and all and of that. It's so aggressive looking, it too, is. Man. It looks nasty. It's it looks nasty. Uh, and then in 2020, they just launched a 10-speed transmission. We'll be doing a, a whole episode around the 10-speed transmission when we've actually broken one and learned something about how to fix it. Uh, there's a new head design with improved swirl. Gail Banks. We talked to Gail Banks so much about the L5P head swirl. If you care about heads and head swirl and engineering of that sort, go back and listen to that episode. I believe it is actually called Head Swirl with Gail Banks and the L5P. Or if you type those words in, you'll find it. Um, again, new EGR design. Uh, to- looks totally different. It looks smaller, and this is the first year that I've seen an EGR not look bigger, but but it is a, a whole new functioning EGR. And again, I think over at Duramax Tuner, we're going to be doing a Diesel Insights episode pretty soon, uh, diving into EGR and EGR technology. 
Uh, like Chris said, this truck was rated at the highest horsepower of any Duramax ever, 445 horsepower, 765 foot-pounds. And to put a, just put something on here, you know, we, we baselined all these different trucks in the past, and one of the things that, you know, the L5P really surprised all of us, and I remember the day when we got our 17 in at the shop and baselined it, they made 404 horsepower to the rear tire. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, no bullshit, come straight on. down. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, and it's a wildly impressive truck. And this, the reason I wanted to do this episode now, uh, during all of where all I hear about is emissions equipment these days, right? That's like all we're talking about on, on social media and diesel performance is EPA and emissions equipment. But I wanted to remind everybody about some of the highlights here. We've been adding emissions equipment for the past 16 years to these trucks and the horsepower rating has gone up the tow rating has gone up the the is the longevity gone up of these trucks we'll see i i don't know i I have some i want to segue in here real quick do it so um there's another common theme here right loy lbz egr okay let them go remove them there were also some issues with lmms lmls things like that right let's talk about the lb7 Let's talk about the LV7 with injector issues. You can't go and delete the fucking injectors out of the truck. <laughs> Those are more expensive than any of this shit, right? I mean, no, I mean have... you're what, like roughly forty four hundred bucks, yeah, forty five hundred bucks for a set of LV7 injectors. Easily, yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy to me when you actually think about that. You know, I could sit there and I can pinpoint. Oh well, this has this, this, and this. This year has this, this, and this. Like you, you know the problems. And we can the I, trucks. I really thought about doing that in this episode, Chris, and I was just worried That's too much. That's I too was much just info. worried it would be too much time. And we have done this before. Yeah. So if you're looking for the strengths and weaknesses, what, what were some of the potential huge flaws in these trucks? We we may have brushed over them. Go back and listen to. God, it might be episode one or two where where we sat down with Nick. It's like Duramax Power is the name of the episode here yeah. on the show. Uh, look it up. We, we actually we broke down. Here, here's where that truck will probably fail. Here's here's the generations you should worry about head gaskets on and injectors on and blah blah blah. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to remind people is w- when you hear something about diesel performance, it probably should be treated like any other piece of advice you get. Where if it sounds good, maybe just do a little research on it first. Um, because as I went through this, I read whatever it was five six different articles. Uh, to put this together today, and every one of them had slightly different details throughout it. Yeah. So you had to sift through and find out, like, okay, this is for sure. Everybody agrees on this. This one is like, eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's yellow data, we call it, right? Uh, so just just take that into, into consideration when you're making decisions, because we get questions all the time about what truck should I buy. Uh, and so, so often, Chris, because I know I forwarded to those to you and tagged you in those yeah. posts. What truck should I buy? I'm looking at the LLY or an LML. No, you're not. You're not looking at an LLY or an LML because there's something that you care about a lot that's going to make you make a huge decision difference. Like that's oh. going to put those two trucks miles apart. I mean, those aren't even in the same pricing category. I mean, it's, well, if you, you look know. at a 200,000 mile work truck LML for 25 grand and you look at a 40,000 mile garage kept old man driven okay, also LLY not, not a realistic comparison I uh, just I, I'll show you the email I have oh I have my God. almost this exact compare I mean I'm I'm dramatizing no, 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 I, it a little bit I know, but, but they were the same price that's wild I mean and, and so okay, my, my response was <laughs> well, well well no because because my response was it sounds like like that guy just needed to know more about both of those trucks because although there may be situations where they're close in price range. Well, let me ask you something, right? Yeah. A two hundred thousand mile twenty. I would do the LML all day. A two hundred thousand mile twenty twelve. Uh huh. Or a thirty thousand mile two thousand two. Right. I'd take the LML all day. Why? Uh, the miles. The, the feature benefits. So, so, so the feature benefits. All, all of the things that come with it. Both those trucks. Are destined for mechanical issues. Your twenty thousand mile O2 Thank you. is going to have dry rot. It's going to have gasket issues. It's going to have. I'm, yes. I'm going to have to build the trans in it. I'm probably going to ha- even though it only has twenty thousand miles. I'm still probably going to have to do the injectors because those biggest, twenty thousand miles are still sixteen years old. One of the biggest things that I get with guys when they buy, and I see this with LMMs, yep. LBZs, LOIs. Man, I was searching. I was searching. I got this. You know, forty thousand, eighty thousand mile truck. One owner, you know, guy took really good care of it. Didn't use it very much, only for towing on rare occasions. Well, yeah, no shit. That's why it has the mileage it has. I get that, right? Yeah. 
man, I'm getting these turbo codes. The truck only has X amount of miles. Yeah. And then you go and explain to them all these scenarios and why. Right. There's failure. So they oh, good. So and, that guy got it hot and shut it off a million times. So Sweet. that guy got premium dollar, LOI, LBZ, you yeah. know, under 100,000 miles in the market. LOIs are still going to go for mid to high 20s, I'd say, high say teens. 20, LBZs, forget it. That's 30,000. That's a little rich for my blood. I just, for something I, you can't finance. I would never, ever consider that just not anything I would ever do. Yeah. But now you're putting at least, at least, Two to three thousand dollars in for a turbocharger. Not to mention, okay, even though the injectors and the pump only have eighty thousand miles, they're still 13, 14 years old. Right. That and that's what I try to remind guys. It's not just the metal components. Think about all of the other materials that go then into gaskets, building your truck. Everything. Man. Gaskets, rubber, um, glue. You know things like this. They also age. Yep. So at, although you have these low miles. You you still have a lot of age with it, and and that's so yes. First reason to your question, Chris, I would take the LML all day. Yes, I would that's coach my someone jam. through that. Um, and and second was that by the time I'm done spending the money on the LB7 to get it up to date with, with just power wise, let's say just look at this from a power standpoint of what an LML with a tuner does, I've already spent too much money. Um, it it'd be really hard if it wasn't some sort of passionate nostalgic. My dad had this truck. I love this truck, like we talked about with the six five stuff or any of the IDIs out there. Um, unless there was this like real emotional connection to it, I could find no logical reason to do it. Yeah, I agree. Awesome, man. Uh, guys, if you like these research based episodes, let us know. Shoot us a message on Facebook. Shoot Chris an email. Uh, you, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to make sure that we're giving you guys the content you're looking for. We do have some interviews coming up in the next few weeks here. I don't want to ruin any surprises, but get ready for some really good guests. And of course, Chris, can you believe it? We're already talking about planning UCC 2020. Dude, I don't know. Oh, God. That's insane. <laughs> I feel like we just got back from 2019 UCC. So uh, I, I can't believe it's, it's October 2nd, you know, as we're recording this. Yeah. And, uh, I just think back, and I remember at the beginning of the year, uh, before UCC 2019 or any of the events this year, like, oh, we got time, we got time, and then that came and went, and summer came and went, and, <laughs> you know, blink of an eye, it's going to be Halloween, and then Thanksgiving, and then, you know, Christmas, New Year's, so this year has just been, gone by way, 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 way man, too Man, I'm fast. really proud of you. You got your holiday schedule down. Yeah, man. You know I've what been, follows what. I've been practicing. So. <laughs> Hey, guys, for today, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Humphrey. Thanks for listening. Uh, so if you have a truck that we can I support with EFI Live. I you can't Live, tune anymore. Yeah. <laughs>